0: How's it going everybody? Episode five of Real City Ambassadors, happy Sunday. It's a beautiful Sunday, the Niners won. Anyways, I'm a San Franciscan and the next person I am going to have this conversation with is also a fellow San Francisco native. Um, she went to Lowell High School, Woo-hoo, Cardinals. Uh, she is a UC Berkeley graduate and currently a product manager at Google. Uh, She is passionate about AI powered tech um, that create a lasting meaningful impact before Google. And we're gonna talk about this, I'm really curious. She co-founded a computer vision company that was recognized by the one and only President Obama. Tier, we miss you. At the very first White House demo day, I am excited. I am looking forward to having you all meet Ruby Sanchez. Hola Ruby. Hola. How's it going? Good, thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, no, I'm excited to to finally have this conversation. You know, you've been in my in, in my purview for like and I was telling you before we jumped here to this conversation uh, uh since I graduated and came back to San Francisco, I've been following uh your trajectory and I've been excited what you've been doing and what you're still doing now. Um, let's, uh, let's get to basics, you know, where in San Francisco, so I already told people you are from San Francisco, but where in San Francisco, um, did you grow up?
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Soma, um, from when I was like really young. So like pre-K all the way to high school. So all the way to Lowell High School. Mm. Um, and then in high school, my parents actually moved to the mission. So I'm going to stop um, so- you real
0: quick. So people can get a hold of what we're talking about and where you were so you grew up here in Soma. Yeah, you know, I want to show people where Soma is um and your folks where did they come from originally?
1: Yeah, my parents uh were born in Mexico. My dad was born in Oaxaca and my mom was born in
0: Mexico City and uh, I was actually born in
1: Mexico City too. Get uh, out. I here I when I was old. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm just saying that because uh, I haven't interviewed a a Mexicano yet (laughs) and I didn't know you were. Uh, (laughs) And some people were like, all right, that's cool. But when are you gonna, are you gonna bring La Raza? Okay, cool. Oaxaca is a beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, um, I I was there uh, a few months ago and Mexico city is just a humongous, uh, metropolitan, uh, rich city. And so they came to Soma in what years? Uh, It must've been like 1991. Oh, good. Okay, and what was what was living in Soma like?
1: I I loved living in Soma. I think mm-hmm. um, I was really lucky in that my elementary school was right across the street uh, from where we lived, over on Rush Street, and uh, there was a park.
0: Did you go to? elementary school?
1: Yeah, What's I one went one? to Bessie Carmichael.
0: Yep, that's the one. The one and only. Tell me about your experience at Bessie Carmichael.
1: I loved it. I actually grew up in uh, uh, bilingual um, programs and so um, I think it's called like ESL back then Um, and so it's great to like grow up um, you know still being able to speak um, and develop the Spanish language. Mm -hmm. Uh, I kind of developed the the English language and it was until like fifth grade that I moved to the all-English class Uh, but it was a, a really Great school. Um, that's where I first like started trying things like the, the violin. So they have these really great programs there. Um, and, and they had a really good partnership with the Park and Rec nearby, which is like where I learned how to like play basketball and I joined the team there. Um, and that's where I spent a lot of my time as, when I was little.
0: Um, so it was a really great spot to, to grow up in. What were the demographics like at Bessie Carmichael?
1: Yeah, Bessie Carmichael was mostly, I would say, like Latinx, um, African-American, and Filipino. Mm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So was, was it kind of, a um, was there ever like a culture shock or were you, were, we, were you just a kid just having a good time?
1: I feel like I was just a kid having a good time. And um, in large part, maybe it was uh, because the preschool I, I went to was called the Filipino Education Center. And so uh-huh. even in that preschool, um, we had a lot of um, Asians there too. So I actually learned a little bit of Chinese there too. Uh, that oh, other yeah? I remember. It, um, and a little Did bit of Tagalog. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, oh, like they had cool. us learning
1: songs there. Yeah. And so I felt like uh, by the time I hit like best Carmichael, um, I had already seen like I was already used to like different folks mm. from different backgrounds. Um,
0: and so, and then, and then from there you went to middle school where?
1: Yes. So from there I went to middle school in Francisco middle school. Um, so right by pier 39. And mm. uh, that, that was really fun. Um, joined the basketball team there um, was in like orchestra and violin. Um, and I think I started doing like martial arts at that point too. Um, and so, so yeah.
0: I, I <laughs> I took this photo from somewhere. You were tagged, and I was curious to 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 ask you, you know, what's happening in this photo, and why were you tagged?
1: Yeah. Uh, so this one, I I might have actually taken, uh, but that's uh, the the Taekwondo school that I joined, Progressive Martial Arts, um, mm-hmm. and that was my uh, instructor and Lumban, Um And so it was really awesome about. Uh, this Taekwondo school was that they would teach you things about like how you can help the community, as well as like of course like learning self-defense.
2: Hmm. And so
1: we learned a lot about things like oppression and like prejudice and like how to prevent those things very early on. And so the um, I felt like that really shaped uh, my personality and who it was, and made me like open my eyes to to yeah to like what social justice meant, as well as like having like this warrior. It's um, amazing.
0: So I just, I just, is this, is this it? Progressive martial arts? Yep. That's the one. That's, and, that's, and, and just exactly what you just described is on their <laughs> cover page. You know, they, they, it, it, they fuse not only the, the physical aspect of martial arts, but also maybe a political uh, uh, aspect. So, wh- what do you mean when you all were learning uh, Taekwondo? They would infuse, I don't know, conversations about injustice. What was that like?
1: Yeah. So uh, it was. Um, so when whenever you you want to get to like the next level of a belt, um, there mm. are certain things like forms and like type of like kicks and punches that you have to learn mm-hmm. to be able to graduate. But uh, what Master Limbom did in this case was. Um, she also included projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, is that, for her example, that project might. Have, yep, that's her right there. Wow. Um, like, some of these projects would include, um, like, doing some volunteer work in your community, or sometimes if if you were like old enough, it would be like around like writing an essay, around like what is racial justice and like what how does that relate to your life or like what's going and on. This in your is community. really middle school. Yeah, this is me in, like, seventh grade all the way to, like, I, I think I left maybe after high school. So oh, I was boy, there for a really long time. Uh huh. Yeah, and uh, I think that picture was there because I was I was an assistant instructor. So I think those are some of the kids. Uh, let's come back point. to
0: it. So you were an assistant instructor, uh, like, in high school?
1: Yeah, I was an assistant instructor in high school. Um, and then funny story there is when I when I first started uh, being an assistant instructor is actually where when I met my now husband um, Rudy who was like two years older than me so when he started Taekwondo I was already sort of teaching um, uh-huh. the 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 newer belts
0: so you showed him a thing or two before. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so he fell in love with you probably the moment you swept him <laughs> off his feet, right? Yeah, <laughs> the ground.
1: we call it the uh Simba nala moment.
0: <laughs> what does that mean, Simba nala
1: No, it's like in the Lion King, oh, you know, and oh, you have oh, like the, yeah. they're like kind of fighting, but like, yeah, but that happened way later until like it was actually until after I went to college, um, that, that we started dating, but it was great because we got to be friends for a long time, wow. And then, um,
0: and tell me, I'm, tell me about your instructor. You know, she is definitely, she, it seems to me she's a trailblazer. She's a, she was your sensei, and she was a, a mujer, a woman, you know, and not only was she uh, teaching you the art of Taekwondo, but she was educating you all in different ways. Tell, tell me a little bit about her and what her, yeah. what the impact she had on you
1: yeah uh professor uh, so master limbbaum was uh in my eyes a total like, badass she um believe also grew up in the bay area uh, mm. she's of, of Filipino descent but she would also often recognize that like um like based on her skin color that she had certain privileges that maybe other folks that were a little bit like darker skin and Filipino might not have mm. um and so just uh the way that she grew up and like the things that she taught all of us, um, not just about like racial injustice, but also like looking at things from different lens, like maybe like gender stereotypes Mm. and that sort of thing, Mm. I think really helped um, a lot of us grow um, and like be able to open our eyes and and realize what was happening um, in our world. So like in our personal world, so like in my personal world, um, growing up with like uh, Mexican parents, they had their own ideologies of mm-hmm. as to, like what a, a, a woman or like a girl should act yeah. um, and and do. And so, I mean, I, in one respect, I was really lucky that my dad actually like let me do um, martial arts. Um, but I can also see how like a parent might not want like their daughter to do something that like might be considered like more of a, a guy's thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just Um, you know being able to to recognize things for what they were like even at school right when I would play basketball and like sometimes there would be like guys that are like oh we don't want to play with a girl like we don't want to hurt you yeah things like that like being able to process like what is happening and like why they're probably reacting in that way and like not taking it like personally but like understanding that um, there's something happening here. There's some prejudice going on, and this is probably why it's happening. And I'm, you know, I'm still going to play, regardless, mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm going to show them what I've got. But like, oh, yeah. um, what she taught us helped me really like process what was happening. And so instead of like feeling down, I'd mm-hmm. feel like, oh, this is like part of like you know a larger like systemic thing that that's going on. And and so even in like tech now, right? Like it, it's like acknowledging that sometimes there are these like microaggressions depending on your like gender, or, like where you come from. And it's just like, she, I think really helped us learn how to navigate through, through that.
0: Yeah, and, and, and a big shout out to your sensei. Is that what you call it? Or teacher, instructor um, for like, you know, being a badass. I definitely want to bring her on for sure. Um, yeah. This photo I found as well. What is going on? And let me show you and show the people. What happened here? What does that mean? I don't get the inside joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That brings me way back. Um, Yeah, uh-huh. so
1: in high school, I joined. Uh, it was either like, you know, you choose gym or you, you join JROTC. And I was sort of like, I already had gym for like many years. Uh-huh. Like, let me check this out. Um, what and is
0: JROTC for folks out there? Yeah,
1: uh, Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps. Uh, So it's kind of like that you have instructors that were like colonels in the military um, and they like instead of taking gym, uh, you still do like a lot of physical things like push ups and all of that. But they also um, essentially teach you leadership skills. Mm. So like they're like something really huge that I learned was just um, like you would take a test and it'll sort of tell you like what kind of personality you have and like what other personality what other personalities there are Mm
2: -hmm. um and
1: then later on i found out like they do that even like with careers um uh, and so um they teach you how to work with other people and how to lead other people but also like be respectful of uh like their kind of personality um and then of course there's like the the raiders part is like actually a team uh based on the army rangers Mm. and so what they do is uh Uh, you essentially train for an entire year you learn things like first aid Um, you learn like how to use a map with like a compass and do land navigation Uh, there's of course like a physical fitness aspect to it which is like running the mile and doing like push-ups and sit-ups and then uh, you have this yearly competition in which you compete with all the other schools and it's just this entire like grueling day of like doing uh, like a land navigation course and like a 3k mile run and like uh, first it's like a combination of a first aid challenge with like an obstacle course mm. um and so this is a really great like group of folks that I met there everyone was like really quirky and and sort of like nerdy but also physical oh. yeah. um and so I was of course like doing martial arts and I was like this sounds like really fun and and grueling and challenging and for some reason I was attracted to, to yeah. that um and so met a bunch of other folks and like I just went and visited uh like one of my best friends um that I met through that uh group last week actually, or two weeks ago in New Jersey mm-hmm. um and so we all still chat um the rest of them went on to join um like West Point and um the I forgot the name of the other school is but they all like went on to become officers and really? I felt like I really enjoyed yeah their uh like friendship but at, at that point I was like I, I don't think this is for me um, yeah and, and
0: that was somewhat of a, a critique uh, i remember at lowell and I, I guess i was on the other side of like oh you know this yeah. is into the industrial like military industrial complex and x y and z but but hearing from you um there are a lot of there were a lot of hands-on skills that you learned from from this program um so you know yes maybe in the in the bigger picture you know you can paint it uh, away and feel a certain way about it but in your case, you know, it, it only, it sounded like it only complemented you know, your drive to try things that were maybe outside of your comfort zone or to always push yourself to the limit. And in, in the process uh, kind of uh, learn some real skills. And I remember you uh, from Lowell. I remember you had like, you're always decked out in, in JROTC <laughs> and you have your stars and badges. And I remember just uh, seeing you really involved. Tell me what Lowell is like for you. Yeah, Lowell is uh, really great
1: in um, some aspects, and, like, I felt like it lacked some things in other aspects.
0: What are some things? That it, what was really
1: great about that? it, it lacked, um, yeah, diversity for sure was was one of those things. Like, going back to, like, microaggressions, it felt like I had to cons- consistently prove uh, my presence at mm-hmm. Lowell because I was a person of color, and it wasn't, like, it, like Lowell is, like, mostly... Um, Asian American and um, Caucasian so uh, there were very few of us like Latinx and mm-hmm. and and black folks in the community and so like I would get things like comments like one time I like I had a friend that was like having a lot of trouble with like her AP econ mm-hmm. um, and I, we were in homeroom and so I just happened to like be like hearing her out and then I, I just chose to to say like let me explain it to you in a way that like makes sense to me and so mm-hmm. i just explained it to her i forgot what we were talking about and she was like oh i didn't know like you were so smart or you know things like that or mm-hmm. like uh i had an instructor, instructor or teacher actually um me for cheating and uh for, in math and uh and i was so confused when he like called me in and and so he's like, you were like cheating and then I was like so confused that I was like, no, I wasn't like and it took me a while to realize how the other person was copying me. Um oh. and then I was like, well, why am I getting called in, you know? Um, but it was like things like that that made it like a kind of a lacking experience. But otherwise, um what I enjoyed a lot was just being alongside other like nerds as myself that yeah. are, like very academically focused.
0: Yeah. I feel the same way about you. Um, It was excruciating. There were a lot of aspects that were definitely not fun. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, on on the flip side, you know, it really taught me dedication, organizational skills, perseverance, you know, being outside of Mm -hmm. uh, one's comfort zone. Um, And I'm also thankful because I, I really, uh, learn about uh, anime when I was at Lowell, and I've been an anime <laughs> head since. <laughs> was
1: Naruto
0: was it Naruto? Oh yeah, Where it was the Naruto. <laughs> exactly. Yes. No here. Like you know, I'd grown up watching Pokemon and watching Dragon Ball Z, but I didn't really know about the genre. And it yeah. wasn't until high school, and then <laughs> the, the the language lab that they had the the files of the Naruto uh, episode yeah. that I really got into it and understood a little bit better. <laughs> That's funny, um, and th- where did you go after high school? i already said that, but yeah. tell me about your experience at Berkeley
1: yeah, totally yeah, so yeah, I ended up going to Berkeley after high school, and um, it was a very similar experience, again like yeah. the edged sword where it's like yeah, a lot of like really smart people, but at the same time, um there are definitely like microaggressions going on, um, but folks, I think like it's almost like they, they especially being at Berkeley and like what you learn and, and how I maybe looks like a little bit more liberal. It feels like you could see people evolve through time um, mm-hmm. and like catch themselves. And um, so it was like great to see that. Um, but uh, no matter how diverse it felt like Berkeley was, maybe compared to other um, colleges, it also felt like people were segregating themselves or like um, building their own, like, communities, like, I remember being a part of uh, Hermanas Unidas, and I felt like a lot of the folks that were in my community there sort of, like, stuck to each other, and Mm -hmm. I remember, like, sitting down in, like, uh, Sproul Hall, Um, it's, like, this main area on campus, and just, like, looking around and seeing, like, the groups of people that would walk together, they were, like, from a numbers perspective, it seemed diverse, Mm -hmm. but when you actually look at how people, uh, you know, talk each other or, like form groups they're kind mm. of segregated
0: in, in that mm. way and so that was sad to see what was what was the uh, for you why did you join hermanas unidas and what was positive about being involved
1: yeah um so the reason i joined hermanas unidas was um ever since middle school um sixth grade um my classes were mostly like 90 probably like 90 95 percent um filled with um, Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. And so I had a lot of like really great, awesome friends that I had made. And I, but at some point, like when I went to college, I felt like I was starting to get out of touch with like, well, I should probably like, you know, dive in more into my Latinx culture and, um, mm. and like meet more folks that um, have like very similar backgrounds to me. And so that's why I decided to join uh, Hermanos Unidos because it was one, it wasn't like, it didn't have the requirements of, uh, uh what is the opposite? It was the sorority. sorority. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like it didn't, have like hard requirements um and two it felt like the the ladies there were very like open to like meeting new people I didn't feel like they were trying to um on purpose try to say like if you're not in our organization you're kind of like out mm-hmm. um, and so there was also like uh uh like an education aspect to it in which like people would study together um and then there was of course like the social aspect of it of everyone getting together and like dancing to the same music, right and so that's yeah. where I felt like wow like i I didn't realize that I was missing this part of like having friends that also had the same heritage that I did like i I didn't realize that I miss like you know knowing other people that you know how to like dance cumbia yeah, or, like, <laughs> yeah, also yeah right it. yeah and so that's i I felt like it was really great for that um but yeah definitely wish that like looking back at at Berkeley that other people would also branch out to to meet other people that that weren't like them. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt like, at least for me, like I was naturally curious and I wanted to meet all kinds of different people. Yeah. And that's what I think like later helped me out in life. Like when it comes to like learning about like networking and um, like that's where I think it becomes really important to know folks that are not, that don't have the exact same background.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree with you. Um, I went to San Diego um, and it felt like a, a, a replica of Lowell to an extent, um, mm. so it didn't feel <laughs> too much like it felt like home almost, which is weird. Uh, but I agree with you in <laughs> that. studying Start- and a beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, there you go. That's the the, the big plus. Yeah. It was beautiful in that sense. But yeah, we, we started to form clusters, and I'm I'm guilty. I, I also kind of um, just gravitated toward like the, the Latino circles. Luckily in San Diego there was a cross-cultural center so uh, we were able to see folks from like you know BSU the Filipino um, club and so on and so forth um, and so I always wanted to branch out too I was always curious and I would go to their meetings and be the token Latino there um, but mm-hmm. it felt great I think I, I think I can attribute that to just living in San Francisco or, or the bay. Um, And so right after, did you know, uh, what did you study at UC Berkeley? And did you, and this is like a follow-up question. Did you already know you wanted to be an entrepreneur?
1: I didn't know um, anything about like the tech industry when I was in in college. Mm -hmm. Um, And even like growing up in San Francisco, which is why I feel it definitely is a bubble. um, Mm -hmm. What I studied was... um, interdisciplinary studies, which is like, I didn't know what I wanted to do, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I felt yeah. like I took a ton of classes across like physics and biology and chemistry. And I just loved learning. And like, I couldn't seem to like figure out what I wanted to do, but was there's this program called,
0: sorry.
1: Um, it wasn't no nerve wracking until I got a letter from the school saying, you need to pick a major um because you're like running out of credits and that's when I had to do some soul searching I was like I don't know what I want to do and it just so happened that there was a booth for something called interdisciplinary studies that let you combine uh essentially like three different subjects or like three three things that could be considered like different majors and you write a thesis so I combined what I thought would be like future proof which was like business um international law because I didn't if I want to be a uh, lawyer and like healthcare, because I didn't know if I wanted to be in healthcare, but I knew that those three things would like uh, lead to somewhere. Yeah. Um, and then I wrote a thesis on like how the different healthcare systems are financed in five different developed countries and how the, uh, the financial structure leads to like certain healthcare outcomes. Um, oh. So this was before like Obamacare, but um, yeah, definitely realized how like, capitalism just doesn't work for, for healthcare for like obvious reasons in terms of like incentives. And that's like after right after that, I actually, uh, so I was a part of like Health Career Connection, a program in Berkeley that like helped me get internships at different healthcare places. And, and so I ended up working in healthcare uh, before I ended up learning about technology because I really wanted to at that point uh, provide a positive impact in like giving people access to healthcare and using the data to um, improve healthcare and later on found out um, through a health information technology fellowship uh like the real impact that technology could
0: provide um in healthcare do you think then this in this point of your life was a good medium like a median point between healthcare and and business and tech
1: yeah this was exactly like that that median point um so interesting so the the reason that um, cocoon camp happened was because i had uh, i was thinking about getting an mba and i had this really awesome mentor uh, that had gone to wharton and she was working in tech and yeah. um, she took me to some this thing called a start weekend which mm-hmm. is like you go to a place on friday and you have people that are like user experience specialists business people Engineers, um, designers, and so you you explore many different ideas for a new company on a Friday, and then on Saturday they validate those ideas. You come together with prototypes, and on Sunday you pitch it to investors. So she had uh, taken me because I had uh, knowledge from like healthcare, um, mm-hmm. and we were trying to come up with an idea um, within healthcare that would help um, the underserved population. And yeah. so I had an idea about like well, like from like a market perspective, there's a lot uh, the like pharmaceuticals industry is huge. There's a big opportunity there. Um, and I realized from working at Northeast Medical Services that um, a lot of folks that uh, like most of the money that goes into like pharmaceuticals or like GDP is because of folks in like Medicare and Medicaid that need these medications. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was like, how can we create a system that helps it. Make, helps make it really easy for folks to receive their medication uh, without being constrained by like figuring out transportation and costs and all these things. So it make it cheaper and like easy. So, uh, so that's what got me into like, she taught me a bit of like how to do uh, user experience research or like user research um, yeah. to validate an idea. And like, she taught me how to like figure out like what the business model was. And I became really uh, like that was a huge impact on me because that's where I realized, like, wow, like this, this is it. Like, technology, like, is what's going to help us um, sort of get to the point where we can provide better quality care. But working in healthcare, I knew how difficult it was uh, for us to make changes, any impactful change, because of like policies and just a lot of like uh, tape around like making changes in healthcare. And so that's why yeah. things move so slowly. And so I decided I wanted to learn more. And so I went to a different like, uh, startup weekend on my own. And, and that's actually where I ended up meeting my co-founders, um, Siva and Pavan. Uh, my co-founder Siva had uh, this idea that he had been working on for a few years.
0: Is, um, is, startup still happening is, is that program or that, um, not program, that, that event, are they happening still?
1: Yeah, they're still happening. It's called Startup Weekend, and they have many different kinds of topics. So, like, uh, the first one I mentioned was around, like, how can you help underserved communities get, uh, like, improve, like, healthcare using technology? There are some that are, like, focused on, like, financial technology. So, like, how can you help people save um, Mm -hmm. money? Or, like, uh, the second one I went to was hardware-related. I just want to learn more about, like, hardware. And so... um, yeah, there there are different kinds of of startup weekends, and one uh, one is even in partnership with Techidea. So Techidea is an organization. I know Techidea. Uh, yeah, Tequeria. Nice. Yeah, shout out to um, Really great organization. They partnered with uh, the K4 Center a well while back, um, and so we we had a lot of folks there um, that were interested in, in technology come in. Uh, for for most of them, like their first startup weekend, and so yeah, it's. That was really impactful for us.
0: A side note or like a a little, uh, so Tequeria, I just, I really want to highlight them because I've been to some of their events uh, uh, prior to COVID, you know, personally, and then uh, online. And, you know, they're just a great group of people that network, right? Latinos that are in tech, they're catchy, they're nerdy, they're fun, they're smart. And and it's like a great combination of, of all of those qualities. Can you tell me about your experience with Tequeria?
1: Yeah, uh, so I joined Techidea after I learned about them um, um, while I was working on Cocoon Camp, and um, really fell in love with the folks that are part of that. Like I'd been to a lot of networking events in the past, uh, but none of them gave me like such a positive vibe as I got mm-hmm. from Techidea, where everyone's like so welcoming and ready to like mm-hmm. chat with you and like chat about ideas or like chat about technology and or like nerd out together, and so. Uh, I was like, how can I be more of a part, like a, a bigger part um, in Decadia and help them out? Uh, so then I became an organizer um, and then helped organize some events. And then later on, um, because I had the uh, the filing t- to make our Cocoon Cam into a, a company when we first started. So um, uh, I helped Decadia uh, find an organization um, to help them create their their nonprofit status too. Ah. Um, and then help them through the formation process of like your articles. Um, and then I decided I wanted to like spend some time to focus on, on myself. Um, and I was working at a different company at that point. Um, and so I left as a, I left uh, as a board member to give other folks like the opportunity mm-hmm. um, to help um, take it And then, yeah, just focused on myself. And that's where I,
0: made a transition to Google after doing a lot of, like, studying. and. Mm. I, I want to I come back a little bit because I, I want other folks to understand your tra- trajectory that, first of all, Cocoon cam didn't happen overnight. You know, you you did the Stanford Entrepreneur Fellowship Program. You were also part of the JavaScript Boot Camp. I don't know if that happened while well, that was that, – that's probably after, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, let me think like the timeline
0: feels like so you did do the stanford entrepreneur fellowship program while cocoon camp was uh yeah.
1: coming to it fruition. Just back to me yes yeah, so um the stanford uh fellowship program um, for latino entrepreneurs is really awesome in that they try to identify companies that have um like big potential to to scale into like multi-million dollar companies and so you apply and they look at your business model and what you're trying to do. And they're in partnership with, the, with Stanford. And so you go to the Graduate School of Business and you have uh, mm-hmm. professors actually teach you things from, like, leadership um, all the way to, like, how do you build uh, off of, like, a good idea. Um, so it's a lot of, like, I would say it's, like, mostly soft skills, but it's, like, mm-hmm. mostly soft skills that you need um for leadership um as well as a, a network so that's like the second thing that you're building is a really awesome network of other latinx folks from all over the world mm. and so um yeah so from from that program we met a lot of folks that were able to um like help me figure out how to navigate like the fundraising uh for the the startup mm-hmm. um it's just like a really good network um, so, so yeah, I did that while I was at Cocoon Cam.
0: The startup, right? So maybe we you can explain what Cocoon Cam is and I'm gonna share this photo. Um, what is going on in this photo and what was, or what is Cocoon Cam?
1: Yeah, so Cocoon Cam, um, what it is, it's a baby monitor and you can see like our 3D three prom- uh, D printed model here on the right hand side. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, It's a camera that processes the video and is able to then um, return things like uh, what breathing looks like or like skin temperature if you have the right sensor Mm -hmm. um, or heart rate and so this was when we were just starting to try to find um, funding and that's actually uh, my nephew right there on the the crib he's been born and yeah. then my cousins um carlin has husband brian and so for for us to get investment um we like i, I was having various conversations with like angel investors
2: yeah.
1: and when we first our first demo um it was just like a raspberry pi and like a, connected to a laptop and we were like here's proof of like this technology and how it could work uh but when we started talking about the product mm-hmm. then they were very skeptical and, and they were essentially like well, you know, this does this might look sexy to you, but like if you're really gonna sell this and it has to look like an actual product and you have to like actually test it and validate it. Mm-hmm. And so this is like uh, yeah, the 3D printed model uh with like the Raspberry Pi inside it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and so we were starting to test the 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 efficacy of the technology um mm-hmm. on on my little nephew. Um, and what, so, what was uh,
0: what was the, what was the most challenging aspect of uh, you know the whole testing pr- process and 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 uh, just kind of making the technology up to par with maybe other products?
1: Yeah, I think the most challenging thing is the technology was actually like new, so we mm-hmm. actually applied for a patent, and I think the the toughest part. Uh, maybe it wasn't necessarily like the actual technology itself mm-hmm. um, even though it's like new and like super exciting I think the the most difficult part was navigating like how to get funding um, mm. just because it requires like a really strong network and even like networking uh, requires like knowledge of like how do you how do you find the right person to sort of mm. like either like mentor you or to like, Uh, help you connect you to the right person and and so that i think was the the toughest part um of this whole thing
0: when the technology was being built how many was it just you or was there a team of people working with you to make cocoon camp
1: yeah it was just three of us for for a long time so like three co-founders so i would um focus on like the fundraising aspect as well as like the what you could call like the product management aspect of like doing user research and figuring out like what are the features we should build
2: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, also like the financial aspect like how much money should we fundraise uh what are we going to use this money for um so i would say like maybe like the product and business aspect i was in charge of and then my co-founder siva um, who had the original idea he he he, uh, was working as an embedded software engineer at tesla so he had a lot of knowledge about the hardware aspect Mm. like how we're going to build this physical thing and then Pavon, our third co-founder, um, he had actually finished an internship at, at Apple and he was very focused on like, how do we how do we build this software uh, to be able to tell vitals? So like heart heart rate, respiration, skin temperature without a wearable on your body. And so that was the big um, leap in tech that um, have Cam had um, on its pocket, which is essentially like previously, um, Folks were selling uh, wearables, so like outlet, for example, mm. um, for babies to because um, especially like first time parents have a lot of anxiety around like whether their baby is okay, whether they're sleeping yeah. they're breathing while they're sleeping. Yeah. and so they purchase these movement monitors. But the problem is of course, like babies don't like clothes, right. uh, don't like things on them, and so it'll create a lot of like false alarms, which like, would drive it. parents crazy. And so CocoonCam, cam, yeah, just see here. Um, what it did is like it, it normal like camera, um, so you'd use it normally just like you would any baby monitor, but instead of like requiring you to have a wearable or like a sensor, um, it instead uh, processed the videos and mm-hmm. was able to tell like here's where the baby's head is, here's where the chest is, and from the chest like what the breathing looks like, um, and so the picture that you see here, the little like up and down is actually the movement of the chest. And even though initially um, our proof of concept for the technology was able to tell things like breathing and skin temperature and um, heart rate, it actually started off with heart rate. Um, what we mm-hmm. learned from user research that I think was the most important part of like any startup is that what users really cared about was breathing. And so we were able to prioritize what we were building based on what parents wanted. And then the second thing um, we did is like, we started to sell 3D printed uh, models of cocoon cam like very early on to prove the price point uh yeah. that we thought people would be able to pay it at and so like once you can prove that price point and you can like um prove like how much cost it would like cost of goods served or like cost it would yeah. take to build this then you can create a very clear like financial plan that says like to fundraisers or sorry to investors like hey you know, if you guys invest in our company like here's what we need but here's like here's how it affects sales and here's like how much your margins are. Um, Did you all
0: ever go to shark tank?
1: No, I think we were invited at some point, but uh, shark tank takes a lot uh, from your company. Um, what do you mean? And it makes sense. I think so. they take uh, a lot of um, equity from your company. I forgot what the percentage was, but it's right, essentially okay. like a percentage of your company and they provide like the deals are not very fair. Um, so it's like they provide you a deal uh, so like even if they invest in your company, they automatically take a certain percentage.
0: Mm-hmm. And but so- it, it's because, and then they're, they're banking on the platform, right? Like you're being seen by so many people. They exactly. take advantage of that. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, I want to talk about real quick, not real quick. I really want to talk about maybe this was a, a, a huge highlight, right? Uh, for Cocoon Cam, for you and your team meeting president uh, Barack Obama. Can you tell me about this experience for you?
1: Yeah. um, So we had this really amazing mentor called DelDep Medina, who's been in the tech industry for a really long time. And she was like really um, crucial in like sort of guiding us in um, um, not just like the the product, but also like how to approach fundraising. Um, And so she had actually I guess the the White House had the White House had reached out to her, her organization um to get some nominations for like yeah. companies for the first ever white house demo day um and a demo day is literally when like uh startups startups come in and they like show off and like demonstrate the, their product or like technology that they're building so she had uh nominated us and i remember just getting a call one day from her saying like they want you guys to like come in and like present cocoon cam and like i'm like when is this this is like next week <laughs> or it was like a few days, and uh, but first, like they want to like interview you guys, or, and so we did an interview, and yeah, they told us like a few days, like confirmed a few days beforehand. Um, but of course we were like, how can we like say, you no, know, we were still like strapping for, for from money at that at that moment. But uh-huh. we, were, like, we have to like make it somehow. Um, so yeah, we somehow like. Uh, we had some help to put together like the, the awesome banner that you see in the back. And that was mm-hmm. like a different design that we were working on, but you can see like we still have the same 3d printed uh, uh-huh. model that probably was used on my, uh, on my nephew Yeah, um, and it's still connected to that laptop. But um, yeah, we were able to, to go. And um, I just remember being um, like standing behind him while he was giving his speech, about like why technology was important to like the future of the US. And um, he then walked out and started looking at all the different things, but we weren't allowed to like engage with him at Mm -hmm. that point. And and so I was like, I'm not sure if I'm gonna be able to like talk to him. Um, So I was just like, and we didn't have like phones or anything like that. And so I just like on a whim, I was like, I'm just gonna ask, see if like I can go and talk to him because he was right in front of our station. And so I went and asked. they were like sure and I was just like oh gosh what am I gonna say I didn't like <laughs> think about oh, it just, no. uh, my yeah so it's just like him from the station I went and like talked to him um so uh yeah he was like really awesome he was like super super tall um uh, mm-hmm. and um I think I remember at some point saying th- something like yeah maybe like someday when your your daughter is like grow up to be old enough and maybe like. Um, they can use something like this. And he said something around the, the lines of like, well, uh, I don't really want to think about that. <laughs> ah, right. <laughs> me, of course.
0: Oh, of <laughs> course. <laughs> That's really no, no. Yeah. This cool. I mean, and, and, I, and I, it's safe to assume that that really spearheaded the brand uh, soon after that. What were some, uh, I mean, what was, I understand there's a lot of positive, but what, what did that do to you all as a team? Did it force you all to just really try to expand quickly? Or how, what, what was the aftermath of, of, of the uh, White House Demo Day?
1: Yeah, so after the White House dev- Demo Day, we definitely got a lot of great press. Um, mm-hmm. We were still um, chatting with investors. Um, the thing that I realized was, you know, the, the actual like magic of CocoonCam was the software. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily the hardware because we were using off-the-shelf components Um, and then the more and more i spoke to like VCs and like angel investors became very clear that they weren't really interested in the hardware aspect of things but they were more interested in the um the actual technology that we were building because that's what's like more scalable Mm. and the hardware itself is like very expensive to 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 build like a hardware especially in like a consumer um the consumer sort of industry and uh, because it requires a lot of capital and so uh, on the one hand we were starting to get sales online which is really awesome we'd found a company and ces um that had the kind of camera that we could use to build to like build our software on top of and that was like the picture that you had just shown
0: That's
1: Yep, that's the one. Yeah, so we were able to to not have to build hardware um on our own, which is really great because you want to be like really scrappy. Yeah. Uh, but then at some point the the tough part was like from a fundraising perspective, um investors were more interested in, in the software. And I started to see it too. It was like we were meeting with different um camera companies or like even healthcare like uh, folks that might want to like license our software and build yeah. their own hardware, uh, which is actually like a lot more scalable, right? Because then you can only focus on software. Yeah. It's not as expensive to build like consumer hardware. You have to like use marketing dollars to like push it. Um and so when I started to realize that it's when I actually wanted to move towards um the enterprise side of things. Mm. Uh, but we were already like having sales and my co-founders were super excited about that, which is like rightly so uh it was becoming like a, a really popular camera and so um yeah, I, I tried to convince them to like move in the like software direction. Um and they didn't want to do that. And and so I became like very uh invested in like learning more about the enterprise or like business to business direction. So I actually yeah. ended up um helping them raise um around from uh VC and then um that VC was going to be able to like help them and like actually uh bring the, the
0: VC? What's what, what is you what is VC?
1: Yeah, so it's like venture capital. Oh um, venture capital, okay. Yeah. So a venture capital firm like essentially came in what was really awesome is that they were interested in the consumer uh, in the baby space mm-hmm. they were bringing in like the business aspect and I felt like I wanted to like personally for my own growth learn more about the business to business aspect of things of like software uh, because when I looked when I ran the numbers I realized this is what they're they're trying to tell me like they're trying to tell me like if you focus on the software uh the business is a lot more scalable so if you we were to focus on like licensing the software, the technology right. we have built so that others can build it, um, you need like less capital. And mm-hmm. um, your, the possibility that your company can grow really fast um, um, and big is a lot higher. And so I think the main differences that uh, me and like one of my co-founders had is that I was like more interested in like how can we scale this to be like really big yeah and and then he was it was his idea too so it was like it made sense it was like literally his baby yeah um, and he was more interested in like just continuing in the original trajectory and idea um even though it was like more of a lifestyle company which is like it's it's a good thing to also have um but that's where like i think our visions started separating and so like that i think was the hardest thing was just um you know, it's a big learning, and they talk about it all the times like how you have to like be continuously aligned with your co-founders on like having the same vision. Um, yeah. So yeah.
0: Uh, when, when did you then move? Uh, when did you take a different route and venture outside of uh, Cancun, Cam?
1: Yeah, so it was around like two years later. I actually had met at the Stanford Latino Entrepreneurship um, Initiative. We had like a. Uh, co-working space with all these mm-hmm. other different startups. And so I met, um, Laura Gomez who at this time was the CEO of Atipica, and that was a, a business to business, um, um, software. So they were, they were selling software to, um, HR folks in tech, uh, that would help them be able to understand how their applicants pool, mm-hmm. um, like the diversity of it. Um, so that and so it would also look at all the different, like historical re- resumes that they had, um, and would be able to help them say like, Oh, you're, you're currently looking for like, let's say a senior software engineer. So here's some folks that could, could be like of a diverse background that also fit those needs. Um, yeah. because the problem they were having was that they were like, we don't know where to find uh, folks, uh, to like make our companies more diverse. And we were. We wanted to help them do that, but also understand, like, whether there might have been any issues in their hiring process. Um, mm-hmm. So it helped them find um, applicants that might uh, qualify for jobs that they had open. Um, and some of them had, like, millions of resumes. So it really helped them find folks without spending necessarily more resources on, like, going out um, and finding new folks where they already had a big applicant pool. And the second thing is it helped them understand how they're uh, applicants move through the applicant funnel, Mm -hmm. and like if they, uh, sometimes you would realize like, Oh, like there's, there's a very interesting trajectory going on with this specific department that could signify that someone in that hiring process needs to be like trained because we're seeing like very strange or like different numbers than what is normal. And so you can identify things using data. Uh, And so I was like really interested in learning more about the enterprise side of things. And um, i had met her at at Slay. And so um, I started helping her company out after I had left Cocoon Cam just to like learn more. And yeah. then I stayed on there for I think like a year or two. Um, yeah. Before I moved on.
0: Wow. And and now you're at Google. Um, how do you see yourself? I mean, go, you're back again in, in those circles where, you know, you're a woman in tech. A uh, Latina woman in tech as well, and what is that experience like for you so far? And and where would you like to see? I wouldn't say just Google, but tech as a as a as a field in, in the near future.
1: Yeah, um, I really love my experience at Google so far. I feel like um, coming in, like we were kind of chatting beforehand. I was a little bit scared about like um, you know the lack of diversity and just the there was previously like a letter. Uh, written by um, a man in, in Google that's like it, it made it made me feel like the world view within Google because it's not that diverse might be reflective of what he was saying which is essentially that he felt like he couldn't express his right-wing views or that or like himself as a Caucasian and I thought that was like prevalent um, and so I was a little bit scared of that but like after going through like the welcoming process and like even like seeing the reaction to like the protests um, and like COVID and other things that are going on. It's been really great to see that they're constantly trying to make an effort to improve the community that they're Mm -hmm. in and that they're constantly giving folks different ways to acknowledge either their like privilege or to like really learn what's happening in the community. um, And that they don't like, they don't make you as like, or, or rather like me, as like someone of color to they don't like call you out either and say like you yeah. should be like the ambassador for for all your people <laughs> uh, and yeah, yeah. the way they go about it it's like super empathetic and um, my team itself is like super diverse too um yeah. and so maybe i just got lucky with, with the team i'm at but definitely like really happy so far uh, with my experience there
0: Good. And, and, you know, you have, I, I'm, I'm still amazed and wowed by your, uh, your trajectory, especially with cocoon cam. And, and I, I'd love to sit down on a, like on another occasion so you can drop more gems, you know, like lessons learned, um, what you're still learning about that, that industry and how you can maybe in the near future, see yourself open, create your own company. Um, anyway, I'd like to pick your brain, but you know, I, I these, these are questions that I ask every, uh, every interviewee and i want to close with you know simple things but you know what's your favorite restaurant in the bay or in san francisco
1: yeah uh my favorite restaurant uh and I was like struggling between two of them so i think i'll just call both of them out All right, let's um, do it. but i really love los panchos in the mission um uh, which is right near uh what is it mi tierra i think like a the cafe that's nearby but uh los panchos is on mission yeah, street yeah it the, the one with the green awning yeah they have like the best pupusas i've ever had um oh know, this is so on thir- like on pupusas 30th
0: Boca. like 30th and mission Mhm. mission in yeah
1: Valencia. exactly
0: and what's the other one
1: the other one is seven mile house seven um,
0: Mile House.
1: yeah it's actually out in the excelsior um
0: is it this one
1: Let's see. Yep. Yeah, I guess they changed their awnings.
0: I have never been. Yeah. Okay. What are they what is it? American?
1: It's like a mixture of different things. Um I think the owner is Filipina. Oh. Um, and so they have like Filipino food, but they also have American food. They have like tacos and like seafood. Like I think they have all like the big like groups that that that, that folks love and they have outdoor seating, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're you're taking it folks but every single thing i've had um from that spot is really delicious um they also have like music now and then um they have a bar so it's like great for happy hour and they have tvs and they it's, it's like a mixture of like a family restaurant and a sports bar i think um, this one like, this one music. here
0: though is on brisbane or they might have moved or something
1: it's like right at the cusp if you look at the mm. at the map it's like right right at the edge like Got right it. at the end of geneva
0: uh, okay. Uh, I'll look it up and I think I'll take the the wi-fi out. Uh what's your favorite park?
1: My favorite park uh that was tough. Well like growing up it was uh park and rec in, in the Soma. I think it's called like Gene Friend. I'm not sure if it's still called Gene Friend. Let
0: me see. Uh, I put Soma parks. Uh
1: maybe try Gene Friend G E N E.
0: G E N E. Yep. Ah, Rifflin, Gene, friend.
1: Yep, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jean, friend. Uh, Yeah, so, like, I grew up, I think, like, a block away from there, and, like, that's where, you know, I learned how to ride a bike. My mom taught me how to play basketball there. Um, I was in a basketball team there for, for a while. Um, that's where I first started learning taek, Taekwondo, too. Uh, so a lot of, like, great memories from, like, when I was really young. Um, and then the second one, of course, would probably be like Dolores Park as you get older and you want a place to like hang out and
0: mm -hmm. have a couple of drinks. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And your favorite street or streets?
1: Uh, definitely Mission Street. Um, like my husband and I have walked from, uh, like Mission and Geneva all Mm. the way to Pier 39. And just all through the mission street and it's like such a great walk um because you pass by different neighborhoods and with different foods so you could just like stop at different spots and get like a papusa here you got like a taco there and it's this really great walk
0: yeah yeah and it's pretty sad the first thing i put is like man stab trying to stop burrito thief (laughs) all right well, that's not the really mission completely, but <laughs> that's what Google is showing. You tell Google about that, <laughs> right? <laughs> to change <teach> that <laughs> Google search. so The first one is not <laughs> burrito related stabbing. <laughs> oh my lord! Oh my god! Well, you know what? Yeah, this has been a, a pleasure. This is I really wanted to have this conversation. I, you know, an hour is not enough um, for me to really pick your brain and 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 have you share with us um, what you've gone through and what you're going through. And I know you moved to Oakland. There's that running joke is that, you know, you're from San Francisco. You live in Oakland now. And that's you. Yeah. And that was me, too. Um, a lot of love for Oakland. I can't wait to interview someone from Oakland. But um, anything else you want to leave uh, the Real City Ambassadors with?
1: no just thanks so much for having me and i uh can't wait to see your future podcast as well
0: yeah we'll keep growing we'll keep moving and you know i look forward to interviewing some of the people that you highlighted because uh they're movers and shakers and they're real city ambassadors in my book already awesome thanks thank you ruby take care thanks ciao mi gente peace everybody Boom. Boom.